Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen from across Canada. This is a PGA of Canada Tea Talks podcast in partnership with golf industry guru. And today we have, well, we're going to talk about leadership and who better to talk about leadership than PGA of Canada member, 2020 Executive Professional of the Year for the PGA of Ontario, uh, the current uh, CEO, Executive Director, General Manager, Head Honcho of the Pulpit Club in Calhoun, Ontario, Mr. Rob Roxborough. Rob, welcome to the PGA of Canada Tea Talks podcast. Well, James, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that, and I've uh, been looking forward to coming on since you uh, offered me the chance to uh, to speak with you and everybody everybody who's listening. Rob, what, I, what we're you know you and I are both PGA uh, of Canada members, and I remember meeting you when I had the great fortune many many years ago uh, to come and play Magna. I don't remember exactly why I was in Ontario, uh, but I remember going to Magna for the very first time. And, and experiencing a level of service, a level of quality, a level of conditioning, uh, a, a level of culture with the employees that I truly, I don't recall, I hadn't experienced before in, in, in the country. It was unbelievable. It was like back in the early 2000s. And that was the first time I believe that I, that I met you was at Magna Country Club. That's right. And, you know, thank you for all that, because what you just described was everything we were trying to be. And, uh, you know, we were trying to set ourselves apart. And the one thing you touched on there was culture. The one thing that was unique about that opportunity more than anything else was it was a startup. We had no employees. We had no members. We didn't even have a name for that golf course when we started. So to see it grow and to make it what you wanted to, it's really interesting because, you know, when you adopt a golf course like I have, and thank you for the great intro, uh, very complimentary of where I've worked, um, you know, but when I've Walked into every other scenario, I've adopted staff and adopted a team and adopted a cultural practice that sometimes needed adjusting or sometimes was completely sort of, you know, the vision of where we wanted to go anyways. And I just got on the train. But when you start a startup, it's probably the most refreshing opportunity you have. And actually, at the same time, it's actually the most pressured opportunity you have because every mistake that you have, the train starts going in the wrong direction pretty quick. Uh, we were pretty fortunate to not have too many of those sort of misdirections. But thank you for that intro to Magna because, yes, it's where we met, and I remember it, I remember it fondly, but uh, but what you described was everything we were trying to be. Well, and and obviously, I mean, Rob, you were there, I think, for like 13 years. And and today's topic that we're I wanted to really embrace with you and 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 pull out of you is leadership. You know, we're um, as as whether back then you were a young golf professional, uh, we're still young golf professionals in, in our <laughs> minds. Um, you and I have the best haircuts in the business, but um, but obviously, you know, you you were starting there and spent many years there as you said, kind of, you know, adapting, creating a culture. Um, I mean, Magna went on, ha, continued on to have so many events and such a reputation, awards and accolades, et cetera, et cetera. <coughs> Pardon me. And and then, I mean, you've even in the other roles, you, you, you've you just continued to obviously work at, at some really the, the highest level of facilities in the country with the Hamilton Golf and Country Club, and, and, you know, the spectacularly beautiful and challenging national club. Um, and then, and then now the pulpit, which I want to ask you about, but, but what, what, if I may ask, going back to Magnus time, you were a young, first of all, how, how did you get chosen? Like, so, so what, you know, that became that big responsibility. What do you think it was that attracted the owners to, 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 to bring you on board and to give you that responsibility to create that culture and to, to do all those things. What do you think you showed them in your conversations uh, that they thought that you would be the leader that they needed? It's really interesting because I was, uh, I was approached by the original general manager who was there for just a couple of seasons, David Kaufman. And, and I'd met Dave in, pa- in the past and we got to have conversations and, when I took my first role as a director or, or head professional, it was at Deer Creek Golf Course in Ajax, Ontario. And that was, you know, a build out of Deer Creek and Fawnbrook. And we rebranded it. We re-showcased everything that we could. We brought the Jim McLean Golf Academy, which was out of Miami at Doral. And we brought 
we send our PGA professionals down to him. So we brought a, basically an American golf school concept to Canada. Um, so the snowballing of all this sort of reinvention of what that golf property was got Dave's attention. And he called me up one day and I happened to be in the pro shop at Deer Creek. And he said, you know, I've got a, I got great news and I have a question for you. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, uh, he said, I'm going to be the, the first general manager at Magna Golf Club. I said, it sounds amazing. Nobody had ever played the course. This is winter. This is Christmas of 2000. And I said, I've never been there. Nobody's played it. And uh, but good on you. I said, congratulations and welcome to the golf business. And he said, do you want to be my director of golf? And I said, you know what? No. I said, actually, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm really loving what we're doing here at Deer Creek and at Glen Cedars. And with the Golf Academy, the National Post had rated us the number one golf school in the country. I said, no, I'm really sinking my teeth in here. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 24 hours and I'm going to call you back tomorrow, same time. So I call, I looked up uh, Google Magna and I found out that Lauren Rubenstein had read an article about it. And I also found out Doug Carrick was the was the architect. Now, Rube, I knew Doug Carrick I'd never met. So I called Rube up. What about this? He goes, you'd be a fool not to go there. Called Doug Carrick. He goes, it's probably one of my finest designs, cutting edge, a company that's it's unique and you want to work for it. So later that afternoon, I literally hopped the fence at Magna International, and I walked <laughs> as much of the golf course under snow as I possibly could. And I saw this gigantic infrastructure of a building. I go, that's the biggest clubhouse I've ever seen. It turned out to be Magna International headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I go, it's the biggest clubhouse I've ever seen. Of course I'm taking this job. So I met uh, Belinda Stronic at uh, the Magna headquarters with David, and my interview was short and quick, and it was pretty much, you know, a little bit of some of the changes, some of the highlights of, of my career. Um, and why do I want to work for an auto parts company that's never owned a golf course before and for people who've never been in the golf business? And I said, basically, the, the part of it was, what a great opportunity for me to kind of help you lead the path, and I'm working with people who are smarter than me and a lot of other things. And together, I think we can make a formidable team and um, the opportunity to be fantastic. And so that's really what it came down to being. And, you know, it was a bit of a risk, you know, when you, when you, for all the boxes I checked before, a company that wasn't in the golf business, they're in the auto parts business, working for people who'd never owned a golf course. We didn't know what the membership structure was. We didn't have a name. And so anyway, it was like, it, but I looked at all of those, obstacles as opportunities or those unknowns maybe as opportunities. And I thought, you know what, where am I going to cut my teeth? To be quite honest, I mean, I wouldn't have had the successes following Magna if it wasn't for Magna. And I learned a lot and it got to the opportunity to create, to be so creative and from the logo to what it was called. We, it wasn't originally called Magna Golf Club, but over time as having it be directly on the property started to sort of just take that iteration of a name. We looked at calling it a lot of things and with the Stronics being in the horse business and that being, you know, and, 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 and the horse racing, uh, Mr. Stronic was horse breeder of the year twice in the world. And so anyways, hence the logo. And we looked at calling the club, the stallion and a lot of other things, but anyways, circling back to it, you know, the opportunity to be there and kind of shepherd this incredible project with the resources that it had, but the, really the cool part about it was the vision that they had. So I'm in this conversation with Belinda back to the interview. I'm in the conversation with Belinda and in walks Frank Stronic and I turn over, I stand up and I introduce myself and shake his hand. And I guess at that point in time, Belinda had kind of given him the nod that, you know, this guy's kind of working out. He's checking the boxes. So anyways, Frank sits down for literally 30 seconds. My introduction to Frank Stronic was people who come here will have played the finest golf courses in the world. And from where they come, they will have played the best courses, eaten the best food and stayed in the best accommodations here. We will have all three. Your responsibility to me is to take the things that you've seen in golf and your travels. What is the best of those? Make them ours, make them better and make it magna. That was it. And I honestly, the hair on my arm still stands up when I say that. And it really was, the opportunity to have a blank slate and to create all that. And we kind of, you know, spoke about the culture at the beginning of it, but when you work with that sort of a, that much of an open gate to, to create what you want, it was special. I'll never have that opportunity again, close here at the pulpit club, but you know, that was a startup. And uh, so that was probably what, what of all the golf courses I've worked at and, and for its 13 years probably still is closest to my heart because I was given the greatest opportunity. Yeah, what a what a what a what an amazing 
opportunity, as you said. And, and you know, when we do these podcasts and when we're talking to, to people that have had experiences such as yours, I always like to try to, to pull out some things that maybe people of all ages in the golf business can learn from. And the couple of things that I just heard there was, number one, is that you were willingness to take a chance. Like you, you were in a great job that you had. You love what you were doing. You, had the, you know, you were you're doing great at where you were. But that doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for you to pursue and to see. You know, you, you know, you don't jump in blindly. But, yeah. but I think part of being a leader, because I want to keep bringing that up today, Rob. But, but part of being a leader is is the willingness to take a chance and and to realize that even as great as things may, might, you might feel they are today there can be new exciting things tomorrow and, and, and elsewhere. Right. It's like, so that thing, the other thing that I really pulled out of that was your attraction to the vision that they had strongs had right for, for, for magnet. It's like when you, when, when, when you see people that have that passion, I mean, I was the good fortune, as you know, to work for Mr. McLaughlin and, and Jim McLaughlin, the same thing at West Plateau. When when I remember him doodling on a piece of paper, when we were coming up with their, the above and beyond philosophy and the culture of the facility and, and, and the vision that he had, right. You, you, you get inspired by that when you're around people that, that have that kind of inspiration. And so you obviously felt that with, uh, with Magnet, obviously why you were there for 13 years. Um, when, when, when you talk to even today, Robin, the opportunity with the Pulpit Club and, and, and another magical place, um, what is it that inspired you to take on this role and this, this, this opportunity? Is it, is it, how does that compare to the other stops along your journey? You know, this is probably, and the reason why I actually took this position was most like my Magna opportunity, most like my Magna mission, my Magna vision. And, and, you know, this was Devil's Pulpit, Devil's Paintbrush, Devil's Pulpit Golf Association, um, owned by originally and created by the starter, the the the, the people who invent who created uh, Trivial Pursuit. So it was, uh, you know, it was their vision to have an incredible golf property, and they they didn't invent one; they invented two. And as time went by, um, you know, one of the two partners had passed away, uh, you know, almost a dozen years ago now. And, um, you know, the, 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 for, for one of the, one of the owners, you know, golf wasn't his primary love as it was for the, for the gentleman who, who, who deceased. So it would just became a golf course and it was great and it was a wonderful spot. And the more people, you know, um, more time went by, less people kind of, it became, oh, I played there 20 years ago. I played there 15 years ago. And we just celebrated our 30th anniversary at the pulpit last year. And next year will be the 30th anniversary in 2022 for the brick for the paintbrush. So it's been around longer than we realized, but at the same time, it kind of became a little bit um, part of part of the, the the background. And rather than being when it was started, it was the cutting edge, the coolest, the state of the art. Everything that we tried to make Magna and, and of course, you know, Westwood. So it's one of those things that, that when you try to be that and then over time, you know, you got to change the furniture in your house because it was cool when you bought it doesn't mean it's cool 20 years later. So when the new ownership group, uh, Long Ridge Partners came in as really two primary partners, um, I had the opportunity through Global Golf Advisors to uh, to be sought after as, as a candidate for the position. So my interviews were two. One was I met with some of the principals in Long Ridge. And then I met with the two owners at their own homes. And the fact that they kind of welcomed me in, I was like, now that's something I would do. You know, like, that's cool. You know, you're already part of the family. And and uh, my interviews were amazing. And, and uh, my interview with one of the owners, by the time it was finished, I was interviewing him. Because the questions he was asking me and how successful he was, and and I did my homework on who these two people were when I got there, and it was you know what that's a great question I've never been asked that question I said can I ask you the same and it became this really great just like you and I just sitting around shooting the bull it became lots of an interview and more of a get to know you and it was it, I I left that day hoping I would have the opportunity like these oh. guys get it wanted to be different wanted to be state of the art. Come in. We want you to run it. Tell us how to run a golf club. Tell us what we need. And so anyways, that was the great part about it. Since I got here, I started in May of 2020. So I'm just a little over a year and a, almost a year and a half now into it. Um, I, and it was, you know, a 30, 60 and 90 day plan. One of the things I did and, and, and the leadership component, I think back to that again, because we should keep tying that in. 
I think one of the things they saw in me was I wasn't going to sit around, get my chair at the, at the right height for the first three months. I hit the ground running. And in the first 30 days, this is what I'm going to do if, if I'm, if I'm your candidate. And the next, next 30 days, 60 days out, this is what I'm going to do. And by the time 90 days is done, starting in May, I will have seen the club fully operational at its peak. And now, hence we had COVID, but let's go, let's get past it. I didn't factor that into who I was going to be for them. I created a game plan for them. I walked in with a 30, 60 and 90 day plan. So they weren't wondering what I was doing. I came in with a leadership component that this is the ownership I was going to take of it. And this is the direction I was going to go. And I will report accordingly. And so after the first 30 days, I came up with a prioritized list of what I thought, what I referred to as hotspots. These are the things that probably need to be addressed first. And the order of that and what the resources would take to make change there. And then the 60 days would be after those 30 days, let's see the cause and effect. And after the 90 days, let's see if we can shift back to our word that we started with culture of what we're doing and gain, gain some momentum. One of the things the owners that one of the owners I meet with probably every, every week or so is the word momentum keeps coming up. And after that 90 day period, we created the positive momentum and it started to trend in the right direction. That's how the cultural shift happened. Everybody wanted to be on board. We explained what the new mission and vision and values were for what our organization was going to be moving forward. We removed the name devils because it wasn't necessarily congruent with who we, where we saw ourselves being in a family, family oriented coming together communal club. It looked as though having a kid have a devil's pulpit t-shirt on and then going, though it's a flower and they're both flowers, <laughs> devil's pulpit and devil's paintbrush are both flowers. Still, the omni, omnis uh, of the right word of, uh, of that is um, of them t- wearing a devil's T-shirt to school is like sort of what we wanted to be. So we shifted the name. We shifted not so far off it because internally we still call it the pulpit and the paintbrush or the brush. So we just really just removed devils and just kept it the pulpit club, took the place of Devil's Pulpit Golf Association as the umbrella. And then the leadership of pulpit at one org- one spot and paintbrush at the other. So but. Back to the the charm of the want for the position was they wanted me to, to drive the bus and that they would check in from time to time, check recheck my priority list that I made in the 30, 60, and 90-day plan. And then that's really how we've operated for the first 18 months and haven't really deviated too much. All we've done is continue to add on to it. Hmm. Well, there's a few things that I, I, I pulled out of that. I mean, what I, what I love when we talk about qualities of leadership, you know, the one thing I, I I heard you say when you're talking about in the interview was the 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 you know leaders listen, right? And so so you were talking about listening to the questions and then and then inquisitively asking that question back because I you know I find um, I've been reading up about you know the difference between managers and leaders and all that stuff you know and one of the things that I really love is that kind of conversation around the fact that leaders inspire and if you want to inspire people you have to listen to what their wants are and their needs are in order for you to pull the triggers and to do the things that's going to inspire them etc yep. etc cetera, et cetera. so for you Rob like do you have some qualities whether it's people that you're hiring whether it's people that you're work you want to work for whether it's yourself I mean, when we talk about leadership, there's no shortage of definitions. But for you, as a, as a PGA member that has ended up through the work that you've done and delivered to be a leader now, you now lead clubs and cultures and, and you, know, you, you lead employees, but you also lead the members and then you lead the owners. I mean, you were leading all kinds of different groups. For you, do you have kind of some some things you think about, about, you know, if I said, what's your leadership style or what are you as a leader? Or if someone in an interview said, tell me, Rob, about your leadership style, you know, what, what would be the ways that you would kind of define that for, for, for you? You know, first of all, the two hardest questions in the world are tell us about yourself and what is your leadership style. So they're, they're right there. So if you're ever in a job interview, you better have those, better have those drafted before you walk through the door. Yeah. Um, and your 30, 60, 90 day plan, by the way. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Right put that right ahead of it. Yeah, whether you're taking over the back shop or you're taking over, you know, the 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 the, the club. You know, one of the things you actually said, James, that was really interesting is management versus leadership. And I, I, I think that there's an inherent difference between the two. Managers manage managers manage the day, leaders manage the vision and the direction. People 
listen to management, people follow leaders. And I think that if there's something you can provide as a leader, and I don't necessarily say I have a a two-sentence style, I think the one thing is is that on you have to have a vision. The vision has to be shared. People have to take ownership of it. They have to feel a personal want or desire to share that common goal that you're you're having. Most importantly, people have to know what the role is. Not everybody can bring their goalie equipment to the hockey game, right? Everybody has to know what it is. Sometimes that is a organizational culture shift or dynamic, and sometimes it's an aces in places philosophy. And the organizational cultural shift is really figuring out the the pros and cons, the pluses and minuses. What do I like about working here? What do I not like about working here? Asking some people some hard questions you may not want to hear the answer to even over time. But more than that, it's, you know, the and that allows you to take, get everybody to have that common, the communal goal and shift towards it. Our communal goal here is to make it a family-oriented, fun, great place to be, reasons to come that are outside of necessarily always being golf is part of our internal dynamic. And we hire people to fill those voids. And we hire people, you know, you, you paint the sketch, you sketch it, but it's the color that you fill it in with the people that provides the picture. And you have to hire correctly in both of those areas. The other thing I alluded to there, and I'll get back to the cultural portion of it organizationally, but the aces and places philosophy is really an event mentality. That is, you put your best people on the front line. You're putting your power play out with your with your best forwards and your best people to score on the power play. You're not putting your best defensive defensemen out on the power play. Manage accordingly when it's crunch time. Aces and places is, is not an everyday philosophy. It's when you have your member guest or you are hosting, you know, a, a maybe it's the men's Canadian amateur or the ladies mid-am, or it's something that's your signature event, club championship, and you want to make an impression. The service model of all that is putting the right person in the right place with the right playbook and understanding that their left wing, your right defense, your center, you're the goalie. And then internally, we call that passing the puck. So when someone comes through the front gate and the first person they meet and having that element, you know, part of you alluded to, you know, the, the, what we want it to be and what we want the service dynamic to be. I have two parts. One is make a difference every day. When you come part of your responsibility, being an employee and being a manager and being a leader is to make a difference, whether it's in that person's life, listening, giving them better direction, being a friend, Whatever it could be, make a difference. Move your feet faster. I always say to new staff, all I'm asking for you is to have fast, fast feet and quick with a smile, and people will know you're trying. It's all I ask of you. We'll show you the rest. We'll coach you up. The other, the other element to that is is um, uh, from the. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But the 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 definition of leadership we were the talking definition about. Of this, so the the vision element is make a difference. The other part of it was knowing answers to questions before they're asked. So when the when the guest drives in and they, they don't need to know, oh, is Mr. Roxborough here yet? Actually, uh, don't ask the question. It should be, oh, nice to meet you. You know, uh, Mr. Roxborough's up on the driving range. He's waiting for you or he's having lunch or he just ran up to the halfway house. He's coming down with you. He'll know you're here. Let people know you know the answer to the question before they roll down the window. That's part of it. Part of leadership is also preparedness. Also, part of leadership is preparation. Part of leadership is also anticipation. What is that person going to ask me? What is that, whether it be the interview for the job or the person who's in front of you? Walking in with a playbook makes you more confident. You're projecting that outwardly. You know, the server at the restaurant, when they come to your table and they don't know the specials, doesn't offer you the specials because they don't want to speak to something that they don't know. They're not prepared. Be prepared in every single way. And whether it's for the interview, do your homework, really show up, you know, with a knowledge that you can you can exchange. And like you did today with your intro for me, I appreciate all that because you know what, uh, you know, you, you, you took a couple of minutes and though we have history together meeting, you know, uh, there's been a couple of iterations of my career that you you touched on, and I appreciate you putting the homework in. And 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 but those things make a difference to people. They make them feel important, and those th- that cannot be lost. On whether that's the staff you're coaching up, the people 
who you want to follow your mission and vision and values and direction, leadership, and also to the management of the day that's managing the tasks and what they're, what they're doing on the day of to execute the game plan. All that has to come back to it, but it, does, it starts from the top down. And as long as everybody knows what you're expecting of them, that's a critical element. You know, when I hire someone, I think we owe them a few, set, a few sets of responsibilities. The first thing we owe them is we owe them the opportunity of, of understanding the organization and what we're trying to be. That's what brings people in. Organizations hire people. I want to work at Nike. I want to work at IBM. I want to work for Elon Musk. Organizations and visions hire people. After that, it's our, it's our responsibility. After that, you know, we have to provide them an education on what their job is and their roles and responsibilities. We have to let them know what their expectations are of those roles and responsibilities so that they can fulfill those expectations. And then on top of that, then it becomes a sense of empowerment. They have to feel confident enough in that job that they feel empowered and that they can take their responsibility. Back to sort of where I was with the leadership dynamic, ownership of that space, of that responsibility. Now I'm doing it because I feel empowered because I've been educated. I understand the expectations of my role and responsibility. What's my position? I'm owning it. And now I'm empowered to take those steps forward. That's how you get a lot out of people. And I think that those are really important parts for us as leaders, but at the same time, for making sure that we get the best out of the team that we've assembled, that we're putting on the ice every day, that we're making sure that we 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 get out of them what we want. Because if we fall, if they fall short somewhere, we have to look internally and realize what part of the onboarding did we not did we not check the box of. Hmm. Wow. I've got like 40 words written down and I have no idea what they all relate to because there were so many ideas that just came up there. That was so, so, so interesting, Rob. And, and, but I want to stick on a couple of things because a couple of things resonated that I want to pick up. Um, did, because we talk about leadership and, and here's a conversation I often have with people. Leadership relates to whether or not you're leading the pulpit club or you're leading your retail department on shoes. Like you got to take ownership because if you want to take ownership one day of leading the pulpit club, it starts with owning the back shop of XYZ Golf Club in Timbuktu, Missouri. And 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 so my question for you is, did you learn to be a leader as you got exposed to other leaders or or people in the industry? Or do you like, you know, you know, uh, um, born or nurture, you know, the whole kind right, of concept. Exactly. So do, do you feel like you, you, you when you come across leaders, and let's, let's make it third party, when you see other people that you think are leaders or you hire people leaders, have they learned that or is just it's just natural to them? It's just the way that they are. They understand the whole concept of taking ownership, of being responsible, or do you think you can learn to be a leader? I think you have to want to be, first of all. I think that you, uh, you know, not everybody wants. Some people are just happy being the assistant coach, and that's the spot that they know is a comfort zone for them. I think you have to, you have to be willing to want that responsibility first and foremost, because with that, it's uh, you're the person asking for the ball with three seconds left and and no, and and no timeouts, and that's the role you walk into every single day. So that's not for everybody, uh, but I think partially, I think I watched good leaders and I learned from them, and. You know, it was, and I've also, I think that I also want, first of all, I wanted to be that person. Second of all is I watched and learned from those that I respected. And I think that I got to learn a behavior and a pattern from others. And then I reset the course on my own. So for instance of that is, is when I walked into, whether it be, the Magna is not the example because that was a startup. But when I walked into Hamilton, when I walked into the National, and when I came to the Pulpit Club, I wa- I was the outsider walking in, walking in and steamrolling the entire thing is not the is not my approach. I I I really find the first thing I try to be is approachable. Let people know I'm, I'm I humanize myself, and that's a big part of it because a lot of people you know want to be on top of the mountain but don't want to you know but don't want to raise all the ships you know at the same time they want they want to sit up there, and that's fine. I'm not that person, and I don't want to be that person. And I want people early on to know that that's not who I am. And 
that's been proven positive and it's also proven negative. So the positives are I'm approachable. People feel like they can talk to me. And then I think that that also has lent itself into a good human dynamic that I have with the staff that makes it be somebody that they can come to and somebody that they can see as a change agent that they can confide in. Some things that that's also not been positive in some, I would say in hindsight, looking back at my career, I would say that I've been too slow to react to some things that maybe I would have picked the fruit off the the low hanging fruit, so to speak, the easy things to fix. I might've been more reactionary to it and been quicker with it. If I maybe didn't walk in at the pace I've walked in every single time, I think the pulpit club I've learned from my previous Hence, I created the 30, 60, and 90-day plan. I made things actionable for myself in a timeline that I knew I had confidence in because of experience, but at the same time, I knew I could deliver on. And uh, so those are the things that I created, one spurned the other. But I think that but the leadership dynamic, people have to see you as approachable. They have to see you as somebody who can solve their problem, whether it's we don't have enough bottles of water or we've run out or we've run out of teas, then here's 50 bucks and golf towns down the road. Let's get through today and let's make it work. Get well, as many as you can and we'll spread them out, give them to the starter so that we don't put them all in the carts and everybody hoards. Here's two teas for you, sir. Here's two teas, ma'am. And let's, we'll ration, but we'll solve the problem. And they have to see you as that person that they can come to with the problem and, and we'll be quick with the solution and, and not critique them for having the problem after now, why did we run out of teas, guys? How did we get there? And, you know, and, and uh, well, we had more guests than we thought, and we put them out, and people were storing them in their bag, and we didn't realize, and we thought we had an extra box. Whatever the problem is, that can be solved, but let's not do it twice, and let's not rip people for it. Let's just make sure that we have a solution, and then let's order teas tomorrow. That's the fastest we can get here. So that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's part of it, but the walking you have, people have to feel comfortable coming to you, but if you're on top of the mountain. It's a long climb to get there. One of the things that at the national, when I was at Magna, my office was in the pro shop. When I was at Hamilton, my office was at the front door. Here at the pulpit club, my office is in the building adjacent, same floor as the pro shop, and I can look out over the driving range. I see who's going on. At the national, it's interesting. The office was upstairs. You had to walk a gauntlet of three flights to get up this thing and, and pass go twice. And, and and use a get out of jail card. And honestly, it was one of those things to get there, and it made coming to the club and people experiencing being around you challenging because you weren't as easily accessible. Your location at your at your work has a lot to do with how people will interact with you. Be mindful of where you position yourself. You may need to displace somebody who's in an office in order to find that you're more accessible to the golfers. The, the members and, and your team. So, you know, be, be available during that. And that's part of the leadership and the onboarding portion of it too. So I know we went in 300 directions right there, but I, no, I, I know you good. still have 39 more words you had written down <laughs> a second ago. Well, here's the thing I want to just to the very end there uh, about the tea, the tea story. I love the tea story because tease, because, you know, I, I, and I wrote this on a couple of pages earlier, being a leader doesn't mean you don't also have to be a manager, right? Like, so, so you still have to cross T's and dot I's and get the job done with the management portion of the job is about getting things done. You still have to run the business, do the budgets, get stuff done, assign tasks, make sure those tasks get done. The leadership part, I think to me is what creates the culture and, and the experience, right? And, and in our industry in particular, it's about relationships, about people. So my question for you is, like, one of the things that I've learned over my time is that there is no individual definition of a leader and a personality. Like, because I have had quiet people that I that, that I have found, you know, I'm inspired by that, you know, would say three words a week. And right. sometimes they would inspire me by saying, you know, nothing, you know, right. like, oh, geez, I was one minute late. He won't talk to me for four hours. But, you know, there's different ways to inspire people and to get people uh, to lead people. I think that's one of the things that's really interesting. And when you were talking about your qualities and about, you know, the low hanging fruit or about being quicker, I would also suggest to you, though, that, you know, leadership is required to dig a ditch or to go to war, 
uh, and and to to do different tasks. But when you're trying to create an experiential culture, leadership is very much has got to be there's got to be empathy. There's got to be a great deal of relationship building and handholding. You know, one of the things that I say as a consultant is that, look, you don't hire me to have things stay the same. You hire me to make change. Right. And and change is not always pleasant. <laughs> you know, if you got the wrong person and goal, you got to replace the goalie. And, and it's just going to make the team better. But and it's not going to be fun. But the goalie's got to get replaced. I mean, that's what sure. happens all the time. But the challenge when you're a consultant, by the way, is that you're often not there long enough to 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 fit to pick up the pieces after you get rid of the goalie, you right. know, or to make everybody else feel comfortable that they're not next, you know, or that or that you know the ship's still going in the right direction. So I think when you were talking about that, Rob, the the, the I think what's relevant for the the best leaders that I've come across or that have inspired me the most are the, are the ones that listen and that communicate and that share the vision and keep you updated on where things are going and, and explain to you why we're closing at 2 p.m. on Mondays to fix the driving range or whatever it might be, right? Yep. Well, there's, there's, there's all that kind of stuff. I think it's very, very interesting. You've obviously probably for you had mentors and different leaders that you've probably pulled, like me, I've pulled things from to try to make them my own and it's a hodgepodge of whatever, you know? And, and, and at the same point in time, I know there's people that have, have enjoyed working for me. I also know people that hate me and then hate work, working for me. They don't like my yep. style. They don't like the way I do things. They don't like the decisions I make. But as a leader, you have to take that. Like you said, you want the, if you want the ball with three seconds left, you know, someone's going to also want the ball and not be happy that you got it. You know, one of the things you touched on there is really interesting. Back to management versus leadership for a second. There's a really, there's a word that is taken so much out of context. And management is responsible for this. And that word is accountability. And, you know, and that is a really important part of being a leader too. Because if we had a wedding at the club and I walk around patting everybody on the back for what a great job you did, uh, what everybody said they had a great time at the wedding, and really two people ran the ball on that wedding and they got exactly the same pat on the back or our attaboy, so to speak, then it looks disingenuous for the rest. You know, you have to know where the energy came from, the accountability of that. And at the same time is that wedding was not to their liking. We dropped the ball on this and this. You can't talk to everybody. Somebody has to say, okay, next time when we do this or we face that challenge, we've got to pivot and move over here. Or let's do that instead of this because that wasn't to their liking. So maybe the next person also might not find it to their liking. So those are the things. Accountability is a big part of it. And when we manage the day, that's the accountability part element. The leader also needs to tie back into that. So you need to really be in tune with who you're communicating with on a daily basis. I mean, being, being, being the general manager, here at the clubs, I have two, 2021, we had 211 employees. Okay, I really speak on a daily basis to about 10. And every day I check in with those things. And then the other ones, I wander around with a coffee and I wander down to the bag drop and I'll go up to the kitchen. And of course, I'll steal a, steal the, you know, a, a quality control, the special for the day and, and go out on the golf course with the superintendent and, you know, chip balls early in the morning and thank the bunker crew for doing what they're doing. But you've got to make sure that, that your energy is going out of the positive and of the, we could do this better are correctly directed because if they're not as a leader, then you look disconnected to the message you're trying to portray you look like you're actually not following your own set of goals or your own alignments i i I talk a lot about having a critical eye and that that great managers great leaders great business people great operators that they they constantly the, the challenge is walking through your club and saying great 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 terrible and and realizing that there there's always ways to improve, and 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 how you create a culture of your team that they constantly want to improve. They want they constantly want things to get better. It's like yes, we can pat ourselves on the back, but that's no fun. Patting ourselves on the back all day is no fun. What's fun is finding creative ways to make that even better. 
How do we exceed expectations? And what's required to do that is the ability to walk through the facility and go, how can we be better? And to make people want to have that conversation. Not like, oh my God, here he comes again. Rob comes again and tells us what we're doing wrong. It's like, no, hey guys, like fantastic work. Do you think we could do it better? What else could we do? How do we yeah. how do we make this year's member guest more memorable than last year? How do we make Christmas Santa's brunch more memorable than last year? And 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 then it becomes a culture, I think, of innovation. And I think that's what's that's what to me the leaders are are those individuals that effectively. I used to say like some of the people that I've worked for that they are always walking around. I was always worried a little bit, you know, like I was always like, like I was always worried. Like they were, they were looking around. I knew they were looking around. I knew they were seeing stuff that wasn't perfect. And so I spent my day trying to figure out what they saw <laughs> and then trying to make it better. Interesting. You know, very because, interesting to look at it through their lens. You know, yeah, that, because, that's a very interesting way. Well, because, because I want, because they were leaders, I wanted to make them happy. I wanted to say, it's like, it's like your parents, it's like your relationship. If you, if you, if you, if you feel empowered and you care about that person, that person inspires you, you want them to, you want to make them happy. You want them to pat you on the back. And so you got to find ways as a team member to, 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 to figure out how to exceed their expectations, you know? And I, I, I think that's, that's when I know I'm working for someone that is an inspirational or a leader is when I, I, I want to please them as an employee, you know, as a department head, when I'm in charge of the back shop and I want the back shop to be spick and clean. You know, another element to that is, and you want to please them. You also don't want to disappoint them. Yes. You know, that's almost in the same sentence. That's the comma to the, to the second part of the sentence. Yes. And you know, it's, it's funny how you do it. I mean, one of the things I'm very mindful of, is my managers manage their teams. I might I might look around and see what it is that's not exactly in alignment. So I'll give you an example. So the other day, as we shift seasons, as we're taping this and we're transitioning to fall, not everybody has the exact same sort of uniform as we move to fall. Some people have a thicker sweater, some a thinner sweater. We're kind of, just because it's hot then cold and this and that, point is not everybody's exactly in line today with the staff uniform requirements that we have applied because they're taking articles from, from home that are fitting their personal need, but it's not, now we've lost quote unquote uniform. Some people are wearing the home Jersey. Some people are wearing the away Jersey. The logo is still the same. So anyway, so I said that to one of my, one of my managers the other day, I said, you know, what do we do? How did, how do we get number one? How did we get there? Well, we don't have enough of it. Okay. So again, I solved the problem. We're going to this store. We're going to buy X number of X number of sweaters that are all exactly the same. We'll inventory them. And I said, and then people can come and get one. So number one, we solved the problem. But number two is you're going to go with the solution. You're going to come and tell them, okay, this is now the sweater that we that you want. This is where we're at. The point of it all though is, is that it's, you know, it goes to them. If I said, by the way, you're out of uniform, you know what they think? I'm getting fired, right? Now it's that manager that they speak to on a daily basis. I see that, you know what? You don't have something that makes you comfortable. I'm going to make you comfortable. I now, back to what we just said, you want to work for them. You don't want to disappoint them by wearing the wrong thing. So it all comes back full circle to it. But you, but, and at the same time, if you have one of the managers and perhaps as somebody that they can see that that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation for them, certainly the uniform conversation is not. But if you do have a conversation, do you want me to be there with you? Can I walk in halfway through the conversation and ask you guys what you're talking about? Even though I know what you're talking about. Can I be, hey, what are you guys up to? Oh, we're just talking about this. You know, it's funny. And be the second. Can I compound that and say, it's funny. I noticed that the other day. It's great. I'm glad you guys are having that chatter about it. Have we come up with a solution yet? Or can I maybe say, you know, can I kind of chime in and give you my thoughts? And then all of a sudden, it's not a, it's, it's a solution and there's a reason. And it's not just well, this person's picking on me. More, more people are seeing it. It's like the old quote unquote, everybody's talking about it. So, you know, it's, providing that solution so choreographing sometimes the 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 outcome that you want to get people on board and is already predetermined because but the person who's being you know engaged doesn't even know that it's already predetermined and so anyways but that again gets onboarding and gets people again to follow i kind of i kind of got in trouble today for 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 not having my uniform right, but at the same time, they solved my problem. And this com- this is even more comfortable than it was before. So, you know, you, it's, it's a big part of it. 
It's so simple as we're talking about, and I'm almost wondering whether people care what we're talking about right now, but it's the art of it. It's an art form. It's thought out. It's back to, you know, one of the things about being, if you're choreographing the experience, whether it's for the member, the guest, the golfer, or your staff, you're choreographing the experience. And that's one of the biggest parts of it. And, and, and that takes away some unknown when you already know what the chess pieces are on the board and how they move. It takes away some unknown. And people feel way less offended, looks a lot less haphazard in the decision making. And it, I think it really gets more buy-in. And people kind of, again, want to want to continue to, to, to pull the cart. So it's a big part of it. Well, I love what you talk about when you say it's choreographed and 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 also the collaboration piece because it's so interesting it leads into one of my questions for you about the difference of leading your uh, there's a multi-part question so number one is i'm gonna throw a few things at you 211 employees you know you're talking about you're managing 10 there's my question one of my questions is what are the opportunities that you use to provide leadership in an organized way, you know, for all your team and for someone, you know, there's going to be people listening to this podcast going to have 11 employees and someone's going to have 211 and someone's going to have 311. But like, you know, for example, I use the, 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 the year and orient, the, the, the orientation, the starting orientation opportunity, which we're now talking about doing online and everything else. And, and, you know, the, the staff event day and, a and, and the year end kind of opportunity. And then a couple others sprinkled in, it's like, you know, here, here's here's what we're all about. Here's how we're doing. Maybe a few emails every couple months, you know, about uh, thanks so much. Here's some feedback from our guests. Here's how we're doing rounds, whatever it might be, right? So that's one of my things. But also, where where's those opportunities? Because leadership, you know, if I went to the board of directors and said, uh, you know, all the decisions we make are a collaboration between me and 211 people, and we kind of figure out what's the right thing to do. And, you know, and uh, they're going to look at you and go, that's not what we pay you for, man. You know, we, we pay to make decisions. And so I always like to say there's a time when we collaborate and there's a time that you do what I say. Uh, you know, like like at some point the coach has got to make the decision and say, I, I heard everybody, but this is what we're going to do. Um, and so fr- from a, from a, let's get back to the first question, which is about leading the team. Are there any are there any structured ways that you try to make sure that you get to everyone on your team so that they see the vision? How do you paint that vision for them? Orientation is the most important day of the year. Yeah. It is singly the most important day of the year. So a structure for an orientation would be typically it's one or two days. Depends on how many returning staff I have, actually. And so let's say I have a lot of returning staff. Uh, let, let's use that. Let's say I have a lot of returning staff. It is a one-day orientation where the morning would be basically a state of the union of me getting up, expressing to everybody, introducing the, the, the management team, introducing what we're trying to be. You're here, expectations, accountabilities, roles and responsibilities, more importantly, how they all mesh, right? And we're, when you're at 5.30 in the morning until 12.30 at night business, for in Canada, call it for, you know, for the roughly greater part of the population, 225 straight days, holidays, this is and that. You've got to understand when the bunker team is done and there's still people serving, serving food or parking cars or washing clubs and carts, everybody still has back to what's your role and responsibility, right? The aces in places. So I think it gets back to Everybody understanding that though you're done your job, so many other things are hinged upon it and, and the timing of the execution of it. Orientation is the most important day of the year. It is really, truly the day that people, you, you know, you mentioned something right there, doing it online. I will do it outside before I will do it online because mm-hmm. people need to sense the energy. You need totally. to be in the room. You need to look you in the eye and know that I'm counting on you. It can't mm-hmm. just be everybody, you know, all of you together. It's The vagary of that doesn't deliver the impact you need. It has to be this person's going to do this. This is the captain of the ship. Orientation, far and away, number one. Second of all, it's also important to know what you're walking into in an environment. I'll give you an example. At the National, 
number one golf course in the country. Get there, see the culture, and I'm going to speak to bringing people together. See the culture, see that everybody works in their silo. They don't really communicate with other people in their silo. Golf pros and, and backshop work in their silo. Greens works in their silo. Food and beverage works in their silo. Halfway house works in their silo, kind of with food and beverage, but it's not attracted to their own to the uh, to not attached to the building. So it's still an island that just happens to serve. <laughs> yeah. So I see all an administration. Nobody goes up there because again, you have to walk the gauntlet of the two staircases to get there. So nobody goes up there. So they live again on, on an island with a view. So. I get there and I see this, my first year. Christmas party. What do we do for Christmas? We we get together. What do we do? Oh, we go to a banquet hall and we all sit down. And we sit there and we sit at our table, you know, yeah, our silo. Of course. And we eat our rubber chicken and we get up and we pat each other on the back for a job well done. And then we go home. I say, you know what we're going to do this year? We're going bowling. We're going bowling, and on every bowling team, there's going to be somebody from greens. There's going to be some somebody from golf. There's going to be somebody from hospitality. It's going to be somebody, and I mesh the teams together. So everybody had the opportunity to get to know somebody else and walk a mile in their shoes and find out, what do you do? Well, I get to work at 5 in the, five in the morning. I'm just getting in. I close as a dishwasher at 3, and, oh, you work till 3 o'clock in the morning? Oh, you know, and people now get to see what others do. And until you have that opportunity, now people got to know each other. You know, the biggest problem I, biggest problem came out of that? People now started stopping to talk to each other. And two people are talking, nothing's getting done. So I'm like, break it up already. But the point, though, is it was, it was one of the most, one of the best things I ever did. We did it for a couple of years. We humanized everybody back to that part of begin. Had everybody be, become relatable. There were no speeches. I got up in the middle of it and said thanks to everybody during during when we were all filling our face with pizza and beer, and that was it. And yeah. nobody was employee of the year, and nobody was special. Everybody was appreciated. And, I, and, and that was one of the most important things I did. And if I could tell you the next year, because that was at Christmas, and now we fast forward to April, and I saw everybody in the same room, and they all knew each other. And, and I, I looked at that, and I go, I won. That was a yeah. win. That was a checkbox right there for me. That was one of the best things I've ever done in my entire career. And you're going to think that's ridiculous with some of the cool things that I've been able to be a part of. That right there might have been one of the most important and, and best decisions I've ever made. Well, no doubt. And and you talk about choreographing, you know, it's Managing people, there's a reason why it's called managing people. It's not called managing tea times or managing a business, you know, managing uh, widgets. It's managing people, and people are unique and and emotional and, and communicate in different ways. And some are shy, and some are bold, and some want to talk a lot, and some don't, and some want to be on stage, and some don't want recognition. I mean, I, I always say what a good leader does. And, and I, and I, I failed, I failed in every job I've had because I have, I can, I can tell you, I have never done a good enough job of engaging and getting into really understanding what drives every single employee, what motivates every single one of them, you know, what, what, how I can help them achieve whatever they want to achieve. I mean, I'm pretty good with the leaders and the management team and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you have that opportunity to engage with so many people. Um, I got a couple more questions for you, Rob, because we're running out of time. So I want to ask you about, if, is there a difference in how you manage your bosses, your board? Is there a difference? I mean, I, I have some policies with my the separate like you know, same thing i'm i am i have to manage downwards and i manage upwards and they require sometimes some different tax and some different strategies so for you is there is there any skills that are more highlighted for you from a leadership standpoint in the way that you would manage upwards you know i think yes i i the first thing i always did before board meetings or committee meetings is really get in line with the chair of the of the board or the chair of the committee. So I always said to the chair, you and I need to present a unified front. And every single thing we do, we need to present a unified front. And if we can walk in there with those decisions already being done, 
and already being had. And I got your back and you have mine. We've already got two votes in the room. So let's onboard everybody else into why we think it's a good idea. So that's a big part. And then also, you know, kind of championing some of the things and testing the waters ahead of ahead of the um, the board meetings so that it was it was the the desired outcomes were there with each individual board member who's going to have a vote. And I would go to the chair and go, the tournament chair is not going to be on board with that. The ladies captain is not going to be on board with that, but everybody else is. So we can sacrifice those two votes. No walking in, let's get onboarding from the other eight or the other number that was left over in the board. So really getting ahead of the problem, streamlined the meetings and being effective committee meetings and letting everybody know what the outcomes of the committee meetings were before the board meeting and introducing that. So everybody could go, didn't really like the decision that was made in the house committee chair to change the menu, to have something, you know, peas in every dish. Yeah. So, you know, but you get ahead of that. uh, And basically, you know, that that's not going to even be more than a conversation. We're going to relook at that at the next uh, menu committee meeting and that will be next week because we don't want that to, to carry on streamlining the meetings by having the answers and knowing everybody's points of view before you go in if you're the driver of the meeting in line with the chair of the board or the committee that will really be most effective it's the best thing i can say get ahead of the hard stuff have the answers, be unified, know who you're going up against, know what the score is before a vote takes place and try to onboard as many people as you can. And second of all is speak with conviction and belief because if you believe it, you're paid to be their counsel. So counsel them. And if they go off, go, you know what? We'll execute that plan. And then if you think it's wrong, say, can we just put a one month timeline on that and reassess that in 30 days at the next meeting of committee or board. And I'll let you know what it is. And I'll provide as much analytics to that decision as possible because it might be the best that we did. I'm not necessarily going to, you know, in line with it, but at the same time, we're going to try to make it work. And if it does or doesn't, here's why. And then that way you're not, you're not You're not told you sowing them, but at the same time, you're also proving with earnest that you're going to try and make this happen, but you have concerns about it. And, and get ahead of it that way. So those would probably be the, the things I'd be, if it's a decision you're not in line with, timeline the outcome for it to be reassessed. That's excellent. That's really good. I mean, what I what I resonates to me there, what I loved about it was, you know, um, before you give your opinion, know other people's opinions. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. it's like, wanna, you know what I'd like to know? I'd like to, before I play that card, I'd like to know what you're holding. And exactly. that's, that's basically it. That's how you're, exactly. you're playing poker. It's exactly play what you're poker. doing. And, and the, but the thing is, you know, people think that because I'm the boss, you know, I have to go around and tell everybody what's going to happen. And, and there's many ways to do that. But, but the, 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 if you want to get people to come along with you, you have to understand where they're sitting, where their position is, what, 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 where, where do you sit on this topic? And let me, under, let me understand you. Because maybe if I understand you better, it's going to change my opinion a little bit, or it's going to it's going to change what I think. You know, I mean, it's that whole thing about gathering feedback and getting information. Okay, so right, you know what it is right there? It's actually back to listening. Back well, to the exactly. Very, one of the very first points you made was leaders listen, and there you go. You were listening. Yeah, leaders listen. One hundred percent, leaders listen. And so we're going to have some future leaders listening to this podcast right now. Absolutely, we've got some young PGA professionals probably that hopefully are are listening to this and, and soaking some stuff in. And so, and, and I, I always like to, 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 to say the state, make the statement, you know, that leadership is leading your back shop and being responsible for the shoe department as much as it's being responsible for the national golf club of Canada. So if you could impart some final suggestions of wisdom to a young girl or guy that's, that's, that, that, that does want the ball, uh, with three seconds left, you know, they, they do want the opportunity to be responsible and to be, to, to, to progress and to one day be the general manager uh, of, uh, of the pulpit club or any of the other clubs, X, Y, Z and Timbuktu, whatever it might be for them, whatever, whatever their uh, club that they aspire to, to be at, what would be, what would be 
one or two nuggets that you you would share if you could? You know, I hate that saying. If I could go back and do something over no, again, no, no, for sure. Because I, I, no regrets, but we all learn. I'm going to break my answer down into two sides. Wonderful. Number one is um, I think I'd just like to speak to the fundamental core responsibilities of the golf profession. And in the PGA, if you're going to be a, a golf professional has five core fundamentals. Number one is they have the ability to play at a respectable level, the ability to teach golfers of all levels. They have the ability to actually administrate and execute events. They have the ability to merchandise and manage a pro shop. And one of the core fundamentals abilities that's becoming more important as time goes by is the ability to communicate, not just in the verbal, but in the written word, e-blast, text message, you know, Twitter, all these things that are now part of our written word is now more of our of our communication dynamic than ever before. Mm-hmm. So those things I think are fundamental. You have to have those, be very good at those, at, and you will be very good, well-rounded as a PGA professional. But to answer the leadership side, I, I, I've got a couple of quick nuggets, as you said. Number one is take risks. Take risks. I took risks in my career. When I left college, I went to Jacksonville State University as a good collegiate player and then turned professional, didn't have $6 to my name. And I took a job in Jamaica. I taught golf at a resort in Jamaica and (laughs) didn't know anybody, never been to Jamaica my whole life, but I needed the money, believed in that was my fastest, quickest way to work on my game 12 months a year and be able to be better at it. But the point is I jumped into an unknown pool that could have been boiling hot or, or, or cold, and I threw myself into it. Take risks. Number two is you have to find ways of separating yourself from the other person who's walking a mile in the same shoes you are. You've got to be different than the associate professional at XYZ Club or the head professional at that club. What can you do to make yourself different? You've got to find points of delineation back to taking risk. And I spoke to it a bit when I was at Deer Creek, when we started this conversation, I brought the Jim McLean golf Academy an American golf school operation to Canada, by teaching, taking my PGA of Canada professionals and shipping them to Miami for six months to learn from Jim and his team directly. Because you know what I saw at that time, people didn't believe in the PGA of Canada professional. They thought everything in America was better. And they would go to the States, to golf schools down there and had zero opportunity for follow-up. So what did I do? I brought the States to Canada, got my, t- my professionals coached up, people bought in. Point though is my owners wanted to take a risk in, in that at the same time. How can you make us different from everybody else? Every other golf academy at that time, there was only a few, but they were out there. Make a score. Golf was out there. Things were happening at Angus Glen and other clubs. A point though is they all had academies. Point though is, I took a risk, take risks, separate yourself, points of delineation make you memorable. Thirdly is experiences help you believe in yourself. You have to believe in you. Ultimately, that's where it is. You have to believe as we keep going back to these the same examples. You have to believe you want the ball. Whether or not you believe you can make the shot, you have to believe you want the ball first. After you have the ball, now you turn and look at the hoop and believe you can make it. That's all there is to it. You've got to want the you've got to believe in you. All these positives of feeling well-rounded, all these positives of the five core fundamentals, all these positives of experience, all these positives of having wins as you go along, all all help fill your bucket for how you believe and what you believe in you and who you see when you look in the mirror and more importantly, who people across the table see when they look at you what you project inward at. And I think that if I could just give anybody a piece of advice, build a resume, have those experiences, and believe in yourself. That's all I can tell you. That's so good, man. That's so good. That's so good. I'm going to add one to that because I've been listening to the stories today and one that I always am a big fan of because you talk about Dave Kaufman, talk about the Stronach family, talk about Jim McLean. My, 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 my edition, my fourth edition is work with winners. You know, if you, if you want to... If you want to be on a winning team, you got to surround yourself with the kind of people you aspire to be. And if and, and you got so you got to find mentors, you got to find clubs, you got to find bosses, 
You got to find people that inspire you. Otherwise, you'll never learn how to inspire others. So I'm going to throw that in there. Rob, there was uh, so many great nuggets there today about leadership. And, you know, it's been fascinating to, to, to watch your journey and to see the types of clubs that you, uh, you, you, you get to and that you are providing your, your leadership with. Um, and I know the journey's not over. I think that's the other thing that's totally cool about, about our business and our, and our, and our, and, and the, and the, and the work that we do. It's that there's, there's always new cultures to create. There's always new challenges to, to, to come. Not that I suggest you should leave anytime soon. The pulpit club looks amazing. Uh, the, the excitement about where you're taking that place and some of the things that people haven't been online and checked it out. If they want to reach out to you, Rob, what is a way that they can do that to uh, to, to, to get some more information from you? What's the best way? Through the Pulpit Club website? or how yeah, well? My email and phone number on the Pulpit Club website. And uh, so that's probably the easiest way to get to, you know, winter or summer. And um, rroxborough uh, at thepulpitclub.com. Uh, R-O-X-B-O-R-O-U-G-H and uh, my first initial R at the front of that and that's probably the easiest way and I'm happy to uh, to be a sounding board for anybody I don't pretend to know it all but I might ask you the right question that will get you pointed in the right direction so um, uh, I, I'm I'm appreciative of the time appreciate, appreciative of the opportunity to, to communicate a little bit of, of my story and, and um, I'm proud of what I've done I'm not done yet um, and uh, there's some really cool stuff going on that uh that uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about down the road with uh, junior initiatives, and I'm working with Steph Curry on getting kids uh, in the inner city and uh, that are underrepresented in golf, uh, you know, to to get clubs in their hands, and what we're doing with the Mike Weir Foundation uh, for mental health and in, in youth and in Sarnia and, and expanding that net is uh, is something that uh, that I, I look forward to uh, to carrying on that dialogue down the road. Another quality of leadership, Rob, is giving back, and uh, good for you. Congratulations. Be proud of all those efforts, and, and I entice everyone that's listening, uh, whether it's through the Gig Nation or through the PGA of Canada, uh, to, uh, to, to engage more and to see how you can support uh, these worthwhile efforts and to grow the game of golf. Uh, in, in, in this country and in other countries around the world. So, Rob, thank you so much again and, uh, and all the best. And uh, I hope you enjoy a little bit of a break at some point over the next couple months uh, to recharge your batteries. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I hope everyone has a, has a great winter coming. 